The Real Estate Sessions is brought to you by Relola. The Relola app helps agents leverage their local expertise. Create a beautiful interactive map of everything you love about your community, from businesses to listings to local features. Share it on Facebook and your website. And it's free for all realtors in 2018. Learn more at relola.com. And even the top agents, the ones who do have the most number of deals and dollars or whatever, tell us that it's being vital to their sphere of influence, to 150 to 200 people um, that you contribute to, that you are of value to before you ask them for value. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 118 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and sharing with a friend and leaving a rating or review. It's how we continue to grow. And uh, from a, our little tiny corner of the internet, we can we can almost see barely around the corner. So we're feeling good about it. And I appreciate you tuning in. Really excited about who we're bringing to you on the podcast today. Uh, Matthew Ferrara. I've known my, Matthew of Matthew for a good 10 years, but I've never had the chance to talk to him. And this is one of my favorite parts of the podcast because I got to do some more digging and find out Matthew's background. Um, I love what he says about real estate and in and, and, and relationships, but it's not just real estate. We're going to find out from Matthew that he really is talking to a lot of different people around the country and even internationally about relationships and the value of conversations. Uh, very excited to talk to him. And it's my very first, my very first interview with a philosopher. So Matthew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Bill. I'm glad to be here. So I know you're now in Las Vegas. That's uh, where your, your hub is. And, and but I know you did not grow up there. Uh, you spent the majority of your life, if I've got it right, in Massachusetts, correct? That's right. Yeah. I grew up uh, just north of Boston. And uh, except for a little time that I lived in uh, Bologna, Italy, I have mostly lived there and, uh, and here in Vegas. What do you miss most about New England living in Vegas? I grew up in San Diego and moved to Phoenix. Um, not as big a change that you've gone through, but the desert's definitely different. What do you miss most? <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely different. Um, well, I think actually the thing I miss the most, which is um, something that you almost don't anticipate, is the Boston sense of humor, uh, if you will. Uh, there's a sort of rhythm and almost, you know, politely sarcastic um, humor of the of the Northeast that's so much fun. It's just a banter that happens between you and not just your friends, you and, uh, you know, a, a waiter or someone uh, you meet at a coffee shop. It's this sort of New England, uh, Boston sense of humor that doesn't really exist out here. And uh, so sometimes I scratch my head because I think I'm being funny and someone is looking at me like they have no idea what I just said. So uh, I do miss a little of that. I, I miss a little of the intensity of Boston. It's just a constant buzz and hub of activity. Uh, but at the same time, I really do appreciate the laid back feel of of, of Vegas and, and the desert and, and sort of the West in general. It was the right move to sort of change pace. But um, but sometimes you do miss that that pressure. Yeah, you talk about that sense of humor. For me, it's it's a 
you definitely know a Boston sports fan within a few minutes or seconds, actually, of, of <laughs> talking sports, right? Because there's a certain pride. I love what you're talking about, that rhythm and, and the uh, flow of the conversation. That's very cool. You know, every city has its pace. Every city has its rhythm. I guess I'm pretty blessed. I am in so many cities and so many countries every year anyways. So I sort of have a, an opportunity to experience multiple rhythms, multiple styles. Um, but as they say, there really is no no place like home. It's it's where you get um, sort of wired. And when you uh, when you get back to it from time to time, it's a great way to recharge. But having said that, moving to Vegas has been fantastic. It is absolutely a fabulous place to live. It is a fun place to live. It's a crossroads. Uh, since we moved here, I don't think there has been a weekend in which I haven't had a, a friend or a client from all over the world uh, send me a, a text saying, hey, we're here for the weekend, uh, which really is uh, an opportunity to be at the center of a great sphere of influence. Um, and also, aside from the sort of buzz of the city, the desert is beautiful. It's just a remarkable place. You know, a lot of people only think of Vegas as that three-mile strip um, and, and not even a few miles away where there are some interesting off-strip uh, wonderful places like the Atomic Museum or the, the you know, the, the National uh, Museum of, of, of uh, arcades and, and video games, like fun little quirky things like that. But you just go 10 miles away or 50 miles away and you are in some of the most gorgeous, colorful uh, landscape that not only, you know, in terms of a change of scenery, it, it, as a photographer, uh, it is just a, a treasure to enjoy. So I'm guessing you've had some fun with that camera during wildflower season, which you're probably hitting about right now, right? Pretty soon. Um, yes. I mean, wildflower season is just, actually, there are multiple blooms, which is so interesting about the desert. I mean, I actually still have blooming flowers in my yard now, and it's the 1st of December. Uh, but that's always beautiful. Star um, photography, sky photography at night is incredible. In fact, one of my um, photographs of the Mojave actually caught the attention of the United States Air Force, which then commissioned it to be a 30 by 11 foot mural in Andrews Air Force Base in the Officers Club. So in addition to like obviously beautiful spaces that just fill me up as a photographer, uh, you get to, you know, have these unique moments where the desert, you bring the desert alive through photography and then it contributes to someone else, like in this case, the men and women of the Air Force who, you know, serve and protect. So it's just, a, a, you know, a wonderful circle of, of, um, uh, uh, of opportunity, the desert that is far beyond just the hubbub of the city. You majored in philosophy at UMass, correct? That's right. Um, I got a degree in philosophy and then I got a degree in economics. Okay. So as you're going through school as a, a young man, what was the career or careers that you were thinking about? What were you shooting to be? <laughs> well, it's kind of funny just to step back for a split second. Um, before I got a degree in philosophy, I wanted my whole life to be a chemist. I wanted nothing more than to do chemistry through high school and even elementary school. You know, give me some test tubes and, you know, under the sink uh, uh, chemicals. And uh, I wanted to do that more than anything else. But I'm terrible at math. And so thank goodness I had a great 
uh, college advisor. I, I graduated from Phillips Academy for high school, and uh, and my advisor basically said, uh, this isn't going to work uh, because you need to do the math. And so I ended up just sort of wandering into the philosophy and political science departments at Phillips Academy, because um, it was organized that way, even though it was a high school. And that really got me down that path of philosophy. And then originally, you know, you think, well, maybe you'll do politics or whatever. But in college, I became really active in the radio station and had a great um, five-year run doing talk radio. So for me, it was always going to be something related to talking, politicians talk, radio hosts talk. Well, of course, uh, you know, now as a, as a professional speaker, um, as a way to practice my trade, um, I always knew that there would be a mic involved, if you will. <laughs> right. And, and that's how I know you. I know you through your speaking career and, and the teaching you've done in the real estate space. But how, how and when did real estate kind of become a focus for you? Well, real estate was a, a, a sort of lucky accident. Um, I had always been one of those, you know, early computer users. My uh, my dad had been in the computer business very early on. Uh, I had a computer long before my friends did, uh, and uh, so I was doing, you know, some sort of light computer work, helping different business people just honestly, just setting up the most rudimentary of databases and, and label making programs and stuff. And in one of my political science classes, I became friends with a lady who was a real estate broker at the time. And uh, I started just, you know, this great friendship that up even today is still uh, there. We talk a lot. I just saw her at an event when I was back in Boston. She was sitting in the front row and uh, she basically said to me, hey, maybe you could give me a hand. Um, I started helping her get her systems in order. Now, I just want to dial you back to this was the day of 286 computers and dot matrix <laughs> printers. Well, I, I just love the opportunity to work with these state-of-the-art equipment that business people could afford, you know, that a, that a college kid couldn't. Anyways, it, you know, was in a, in a great real estate um, office. I uh, started, obviously, to learn more about real estate. Uh, and as I got involved, basically, she pushed me. She said, learn everything you can about this business. You know, get, if you want to sell, get licensed, you know, work with me. Uh, but honestly, I think you'll be better, um, more effective for the industry by helping people get their systems together. And then I did um, what, you know, I didn't know you weren't supposed to do, which was I took every class that I could. I didn't know you weren't supposed to go to real estate education. Nobody does that. Well, I did the GRI. I did all these classes. And then I ended up teaching these classes and sort of um, did a strange uh, flip of, of my career path. And the real estate industry um, is such a wonderful sphere of influence industry that, you know, my client, the broker, recommended me to other brokers, brought me to the attention of the local board, which brought me to the attention of the state association, which then just exploded my career. And that ultimately bumped me into the person uh, who then took me into the corporate side of real estate, which was the former senior vice president of uh, education at the NRT, uh, David Horowitz, who basically gave me my first nationwide tour on behalf of all of those Cobalt Banker residential brokerages. And so it just exploded my career and um, my corporate contacts uh, grew. And by 
2001, we were doing all sorts of crazy stuff. We weren't just doing, you know, uh, workshops on how to sell and do your marketing or whatever, but I had built a call center with 50 employees taking technical support calls for 10 real estate associations and the five biggest real estate companies in America. Uh, we were delivering 2,000 webinars a year for different groups, launching different products and supporting their services and education environment. It just exploded. But honestly, it exploded from just a series of individual relationships that took um, an interest and also I contributed hard value to. And, um, and that's the real estate story, right? Whether it's in the real estate speaker side or the real estate brokerage side, it's the same story. Right. Around this time, there were a couple bumps in your life. We are both fellow cancer survivors, and I, I love the opportunity. And I know you're open to talking about this, but um, take a moment to discuss that part um, for you, not once, but twice, um, and, and how this has kind of affected your approach you know, to work and life. Yeah, in um in 1999 I did 99 events and uh on the eve of getting to the last state I haven't spoken in which is um Alaska got all 49 others and all across Canada and 20 countries around the world but on that eve I I landed in the hospital and um uh, they said, hey, um, you know, you have lung cancer. And uh, it was, you know, a huge shock. I was 29 years old at the time. Uh, and it was a sort of fluke cancer. It was, it was just, it's a gen it was a genetic um, form that was, you know, just discovered through um, uh, an accident. And um, anyways, you know, they ended up removing um, the bottom third of my right lung. And uh, it was a very long recovery. It was a watershed moment, as all cancers are for most people. Um, it, it made me change a lot of my thinking in terms of, you know, not just working hard, but working smarter. It led to the growth of an organization, not just, you know, a, a one man show with a couple of people helping him. But it also challenged me to ask the question, what are you really doing? And, and it, that began the process of me saying, well, you know, I could see my role as trying to do as many transactions as possible. How many speaking gigs can I do and rush from event to event, client to client, or I could try to make a bigger um, contribution. And then, of course, um, maybe I didn't hear that lesson loudly enough um, from life, but on my five-year checkup, um, again, another happy accident, the technician made an error in the MRI machine. And so um, my doctor said, well, the good news is your lungs are clear, but the technician um, accidentally scanned too far down your body. And we've discovered that you now have kidney cancer. Um, again, a happy accident because catching it early, that process was pretty um, easy as far as cancers go because it was early. Uh, but by the end of that sort of process. If you think of it from 99 to 2007, um, I began that sort of transformation from just being the guy who talked about technology and systems and, you know, how to leverage things to generate more leads and generate more deals to really saying, how do I help my clients, whoever they are, 
Um, do good work. You know, I like to say that making money is easy, but doing good work is hard. Um, and that's important. It's important that whatever work you do, whatever industry I speak to, real estate's a big industry that I speak to a lot, but not the only one. I always challenge my audience to say, you know, do you believe that your work is noble? Do you believe that the contribution it makes is beyond the sort of transaction that's involved in it? Are you helping yourself um, lead a good life? And are you helping your clients um, lead a good life through your work? And, and that really is my takeaway, if you will, my fundamental um, shift in thinking from those episodes with cancer. And it's a daily reminder because as a cancer survivor, you know, you sort of always have in the back of your mind, could this happen again? Which reminds me every day you know, to try and make my best contribution, to not get pulled into pettiness, to not um, let um, little things uh, weigh you down, um, to make sure that I spend every day, you know, making a contribution to others, making a contribution to myself, but also just enjoying the work um, rather than just rushing through it to rack up the accolades or, or whatever. And so, you know, I've kind of gone from 99 events um, in a frenetic uh, pace to doing the right work with the right clients. Um, you know, and the career success has gone along with that mind shift, but I actually see that the success in the career came from the mind shift, not the other way around. It wasn't that suddenly I was doing better deals and making more money. And so my mind shift got better. It's really driven by your inner beliefs and your values. Right. You, you talked to many different inter industries. You mentioned that um, helping even different parts of organizations, from frontline staff to sales to leadership. But getting back to real estate, which is what the podcast is about, how is it different preparing for a, for a presentation, a keynote, whatever, to a real estate organization? That's a great question because real estate is one of the most amazing industries. Um, and I wouldn't say that only because I'm really in real estate, but because it just drives so much of um, the, the American experiment, the, the wonderfulness of our country. And again, so as a philosopher, as someone, you know, interested in politics, um, you know, real estate is the, you know, one of the sort of major pillars of what makes our country so amazing. And, and we work hard in this business. Like this is actually one of the hardest businesses to be in. And even though, you know, we are you know, frequently well compensated, uh, it is uh, underestimated how much work we do. So when I prepare to talk to real estate organizations, in addition to giving them, you know, practical advice and things that they can do, I know that my job on stage or just in a conversation with leaders at a retreat or some of the other things that I do, I know my job is to also fill them up a little bit to make sure they recognize the noble work that they do, that the work of real estate is the work of building neighborhoods. And that is the foundation of our entire nation, our, our community. And that, you know, we deserve praise, even though you could flick on the news or Twitter today and find plenty of people who have negative things to say. Um, there are plenty of uh, positive things that we don't hear. And so I, I like to remember that my job isn't just to fill their brains, but to sort of refill, recharge their spirit. And then from that, um, I try to do different work, not just be a top 10 list on stage, but to expand the borders of um, my groups, my audience's thinking. Because in real estate, we can get very much in the weeds. Um, it is frequently an echo chamber. 
Um, and so I've always set out to say, well, let's just broaden our view. You know, let's look at other um, uh, other professions or let's look at art or history or science or whatever it is and draw lessons, pull them together into what we do and see real estate in a much bigger uh, perspective than just um, the typical um, echo chamber that that you would get if you opened a, a you know real estate journal or you know went to a run of the mill conference. So I'm I'm really trying to to do much bigger work um, when I'm with these different groups. I've, I've developed a little bit of a theme over the last few episodes, rather unintentional, but I, I love where it's going. Uh, two episodes ago, Heather Jackson of Relola. Uh, talked about their solution for making it simple for agents to share insights on on any number of items, not just listings, but their community. And, and then I talked to the CEO of First, Mike Schneider, about the data they're putting together to use predictive analytics and turn it inward on an agent's sphere network so they can listen better and engage on time, pro- at a proper time in the, in, the, in the funnel, if you want to use that, that word. So... Am I wrong to assume that those two efforts align with the way you think about how agents need to engage and use technology to develop relationships? Absolutely. I mean, I'm the product of um, a wonderful sphere of influence. You know, I have tried to cultivate great relationships that have, you know, not only hired me, but pushed me. Like my clients are always calling me and saying, we think you could do this or try this. Or would you experiment with this? And when I come back and say, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. I, you know, I'm changing my signature from tech guru to philosopher. And my clients go, we love that. And we expect to see better and different programs from you. And I think that's true in the same sort of philo- philosophy of customer first that both you know, Heather and Mike are sort of espousing, if you will. We are a sphere of influence industry, much more than we are a customer acquisition um, industry. And, you know, my, my primary keynote program is called Yellow Pants and Pirates. And it almost reflects these, these um, two solutions you're talking about. You know, your yellow pants is what do you add that's unique? What do you share? What are your insights that contribute to your client's well-being, not just their real estate transaction? That's your uniqueness. That's your value proposition that stands out. The, and the title comes from a photograph I took in Venice of a man in, in yellow pants who walked across the um, St. Marcus Square where everyone else was wearing, you know, dark colors and gray and blue jeans and he stood out, right? And what how do we stand out and share those insights? And then the pirates is also from a photograph that I took of um six guys in a rowboat with a pirate flag on it in New York City who wouldn't get out of the way of the ferry because they were rowing you know, and the pirates were taking each other where they wanted to go. They were a crew and it didn't matter who was bearing down on them, if you will, and trying to, you know, swipe them out of the way. The, a great tight knit group of pirates will take you to the treasure. And so this um, customer first, the sphere of influence first philosophy is, I think it's long overdue. I think we um, certainly coming out of the downturn, almost we're grasping at any straws, if you will, to try and rebuild the transaction base of, the, of this business. But the truth is, no matter what we've invented, now I've been doing this since 1991. In 1991, you know, there was no internet, there was no Facebook, there was no, you know, mass emailing, there wasn't texting, but we knew that the vast majority of deals 
came from our sphere of influence back then. 70% of listings and buyer referrals are coming from people who already know and love us. And even though we've invented all these wonderful things since and continue to invent things that strengthen that, it's still that sphere of influence. You know, your sphere of influence generates seven to 10 times more listings than any online lead generator that there is. Now, it's not to say that online lead generation doesn't have a role to play, but I think that any tools and technologies, and frankly, any mindset that keeps you talking your sphere of influence every day is the primary um, basis of you know, success professionally, but also satisfaction. I'd much rather pick up the phone and call you. I'd much rather pick up the phone and call a past client and just say, how are things going? I don't need to constantly be fishing for a business because that relationship will be fruitful at the right place at the right time. Can you talk a little bit about your, uh, I love this line, vital is far more important than viral. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Here's the irony. Um, I see a lot of money and effort uh, going into trying to convince agents that they need to be everywhere. Uh, they need to work with everyone. They need to have a million Facebook fans and they want to get 500 leads a week and all these, this sort of volume first mentality. Frankly, if you got 500 leads a week, if you got 50 leads a week, what would that do to your nervous system, let alone your quality of, 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 of delivery? You know, like I, I just think that this, this concept that we have to go viral, like we're some sort of, I don't know, television celebrity or, you know, big mouth that, that everyone needs to listen to. It just is counterintuitive to where the business comes from. And even the top agents, the ones who do have the most number of deals and dollars or whatever, tell us that it's being vital to their sphere of influence, to the 150 to 200 people um, that you contribute to, that you are of value to before you ask them for value. Um, I've always believed that people pay friends, they don't pay vendors. So whether it was the gentleman who helped me lease my Lexus or whether it was you know, someone who helps me buy my home or whether it is you know, someone who does my, my uh, legal or tax advice, all of these people ultimately become a level of friend in my life. I, I don't pay vendors. I pay, pay people that I trust and that I want to tell others about. And so that's what it means to be vital. It means that you're contributing something beyond the deal. You're doing it not just when you need a deal and you're not just putting noise out there to say, look at me, look at me, look at me, and, and, and collect you know, these uh, ephemeral uh, markers, these likes or whatever they are. But instead, it could just be one call, one email. It could be one social post that makes someone's day and says, thank you for recharging me today. And, and that's what it means to be vital. It means to share at a, at a much deeper level. And then you don't have to fall into this um, never-ending wheel of of trying to to go viral and besides just as a side note viral is a nasty kind of word who wants to go like viral who wants to be associated with a virus instead right, right? I'd, I'd i'd rather be associated with someone that likes me or loves me or admires me than a, it's just a creepy concept in a lot of ways i want i love that i wanted i want to ask you this question because there are definitely people who 
who preach a, a much different strategy for success today. Um, online leads, lead generation, you know, that, whether it's Zillow or you're doing things like Google or a number of other platforms um, are out there. And then you've got these mega teams who are, I mean, I know of a couple in, in the Arizona area, you know, with close to 100 people doing 50 transactions a month and all this stuff who would say, you know, yeah, I'm not into that relationship stuff. I, I think this is the way to go. How do you, what would you say to them? So the conversation is just directed at those people who say, hey, I've got the right way and you're, I don't like your way or I don't think you're right. Well, I guess I would say two things. First is um, real estate is so wonderful because so many models work. That's what I love about this business. I think that anyone who tries to convince everyone that there's a way to do it, you know, I mean, there was a time when people out there were saying, you know, social media will never work. Just pick up the phone and dial for dollars and call 50 people a day or whatever. And you know what? That works. It does work. But so does all the other mechanisms. So, you know, I'm not trying to be right. I'm just trying to do good. Um, there are some people who, for whom building a team and, you know, investing a lot in lead flow and converting those is a moneymaker and leads to a fun career and has a great um, outcome. And by the way, they probably have good lives and probably do good work too. Um, and, and, and that is, definitely viable. For most people, um, it's probably not going to be the case because we know that teams are a small, I mean, super viable and super productive percentage of this business. But I, I guess the thing is we have to sort of say for each one of us in this business, start by answering who you are first. And if you are the person who wants to have a team and wants to deal with 50 deals a year, that's awesome and all the power to you. Um, it's it's doable. It has an expense to it. But the vast majority of real estate is practiced by people who could make a great living and do good work and have a good contribution in uh, 15 to 50 deals a year, um, three or four a month. And I guess the challenge is that so many, I see all these people in these audiences and they all get stars in their eyes by people who say, I will deliver 25 leads a week to you, 100 a month to you, and they don't step back and say, wait a minute, like, is that, first of all, the life I want to lead? Um, and, and it may be for some, it may not be for others. And then secondly, um, you know, where did my, what, where will that take my business? Um, where does my business come from? Um, now, now flip that over for just a split second and say that, you know, for many people, that mechanism would be, would be great. For many people, however, that mechanism is also a wheel that maybe um, they can't get off of at some point. And, uh, you know, I know they like to think that they could sell their business, whatever. Um, we're starting to see a lot of success with that. I guess I'm just saying be careful because I'm not necessarily convinced that um, the, the volume um, argument is for everybody. And as a result, when I, when I listen to um, people saying you need more leads, I say, well, maybe you should just look at the leads you already have first and make sure those are as fruitful as possible. And even, you know, not to pick on anybody, but even Zillow and other lead generators will acknowledge that their conversion ratios are low. Um, and so if you can convert a percentage, of, a percentage of a lot of leads, that's great. But if all you do is add that noise to your business, it just may not be the right philosophy for you. Matthew, as you uh, look into your crystal ball, looking into the future of real estate, 
Um, what, what's out there? Is there, a, is there a technology or maybe a strategy that you think is around the corner? Maybe we're just touching on now. Yeah, I think that the um, greatest business builder for us in the future is going to be um, artificial intelligence um, and big data. Um, I, uh, I just come back from Paris where I, I opened a, a 4,000 person conference, the rent conference um, on this topic. And it's very exciting because we've been talking about big data for a long time, but big data is great if you have collected it, um, but you still have to analyze it. And that's what I think um, AI will do for us. It will help us analyze it. I actually think artificial intelligence technologies, the ability to sift through um, the deals we did, the deals we didn't do, um, multiple layers of of consumer data, not just you know the last time they bought, but what's their career level, what's their income level, what's their educational level, what's their family unit um, composition, what's happening in taxes and politics in their neighborhood, et cetera. All of that will contribute to our ability to be of greater value, to be more insightful and thoughtful with them. I think it will actually drive up commissions. Again, I'm I'm um, astonished at how hard we work and seem to be accepting that commissions should go lower. I think they should go higher. And I think that artificial intelligence will, will help that happen because artificial intelligence will help make human intelligence so much better. And that's really still where real estate will be. It will be no different than you know, 20 years ago, I did a CMA, which was computer intelligence, to then interpret it and give advice, human agency, to my client. Well, artificial intelligence will just ramp that up for me. I will give even better advice, and that will be worth even more. And so I'm really excited about that because it will enable um, the real estate industry to do even better work and drive up its value and uh, and create even better results for its clients. And that human element, especially in the real estate world, is never going to go away, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the cool thing about um, uh, real estate is that we are um, working with a complex transaction. And so having a human element to it is is critical to you know navigating it. But it's also an emotional um, transaction. And people want other people to help when the risks are high. It's not just a financial risk. And, and of course, we know this because um, if people could just look at a, a price analysis of their home, a spreadsheet or an automated value and make it happen, um, they would. But the truth is they, they're people and they want someone to help them through all of the rest of the emotional components to this period in their lives. Right. Well, Matthew, I've had you here the half hour I asked of you. So I'm, I want to give you the same question I've given every guest on the podcast to kind of wrap it up. And that's if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent just getting started in the business, what would it be? I guess my advice would be try going one-to-one before you go to mass audiences. You know, like focus on relationships, the ones you already know. Don't plunge into advertising right away. Make sure that you've reached out and, and, and solidified, collected, and grow your, your sphere of influence before you uh, try to um, become sensational or you know become an ad or something like that um, and and those one to one relationships will ultimately form the foundation of a long fruitful career uh, and I would do that because it 's also encouraging 
And you need that as, a, as an agent, especially a new agent, but even an experienced agent needs a little encouragement. And so talking one-to-one before I go to the mass um, marketing space, I think has um, been the key to my success. And I think that it could be the key for many new agents as well. Well, I got to give a quick shout out to Sean Carpenter because Sean is the one who said, Bill, why hasn't Matthew been on the podcast yet? So I know you know Sean very well, correct? Yeah, Sean is one of my most favorite people in the world. He was a client for many years and was very kind and helpful to me, not just in hiring me, but giving me input and advice as I developed my content and my, and my careers. He's just a wonderful human being as well, and I'm, I'm so happy to see his success. Um, and uh, when he said, hey, you need to get on this podcast, I didn't even blink twice because if he said do it, I knew I would be in good hands. So I appreciate him. And I appreciate you, Bill. I appreciate the work of, of your podcast. Uh, you're doing good work. And that's the kind of stuff I'm proud to contribute to. Matthew, if someone wants to reach out to you, maybe for an opportunity, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, well, they could go to MatthewFerrara.com or they very easily, of course, can find me um, on Facebook. And um, that would be you know, the easiest way to get directly to me. And uh, I would love to talk to any of your listeners if I could be of help. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can connect in, in real life somewhere soon. It'll be my pleasure.